Hello and welcome to the Single Mothers by Choice podcast, the podcast that shares stories, science and removes the stigma around pursuing a family as a single woman, where we break down the research that might support your journey to fertility whilst normalising the scary stuff that comes with it. If you love it, feel free to share it, even like and review if you're feeling generous, and reach out to my socials and website in the show notes. I'm Amelia, a registered nutritionist and a recovering perfectionist and secret shamekeeper. So let's begin. episode I answer a specific listener question on how to respond to people that say that a child has a right to a mother and a father when you're on the single mother by choice journey. Let's get cracking. What I will say first of all is that I love everyone who is reaching out to me on social media who listens to this podcast. I'm very used to speaking to people about the ETPHD team podcast and all of the relationship with food and health stuff that myself and other members of ETPHD uh, cover on there. But it's also really, really nice for me to hear from different people. Uh, those of you who listen to this podcast, I know some of you listen to both and that's awesome. Um, but a lot of you have been sharing your journeys or giving me ideas of what you want to hear on the podcast and I really really appreciate it especially when I'm going through kind of parts of my own journey that are stagnant or are not necessarily a focus for me at this time like I am right now so I'm kind of on a pause with things for the next few months or so so I very much appreciate it so I just want to say that and this podcast has actually been born out of a question that came in recently from somebody who listened to the pod and she said specifically how would you respond to people saying that a child has a right to a mother and a father and that a mother and father are necessary for child development was this something you considered before going through the process and how were you planning to plug this gap and I think that's a great question and um, so I'm going to talk about my experiences, I'm going to talk about what I know, I'm going to give you some research, all of the usual things. First of all, of course it was something that I considered before going through the process. I think that it, I would be a bit of an anomaly if I hadn't even considered the impact on a child or the potential impact on a child of not having the traditional uh, 2.4 children square family that 2.4 came from but if you used to watch that program then you'll you'll get the reference um of of course I thought about it but one of the main drivers for me to go ahead with things or start to go ahead with things now is that I have a network of people around me that I feel right now can support me and that includes various men anyway I, so far, have had really good experiences with people I've told about this. No one has outwardly voiced any opinion to me around this topic. Um, and so I do want to highlight this because I think a lot of a lot of what I've heard and seen is people fearing judgment or feeling embarrassed to talk about this stuff as if it's something to be ashamed of. And 
are assuming that they're going to be judged for it, judged negatively for it. And personally speaking, that hasn't been the case. Now, don't get me wrong. I know that people might be slightly less progressive in reality than they are when I come face to face with them and have this conversation. Um, and they may well be saying different things in the privacy of their home, own home, but what other people think of me is none of my business. I very much live by that rule of, it's really hard to call yourself on it for sure, but what they think of me, it doesn't matter to me because I don't know it, so it doesn't matter. Why would it matter? I would, the only pain that would come from that is me convincing myself that they are, that they don't like me or that they've got some sort of judgment on me. Then if they don't say it, then how do I know, right? So that's one thing. And the other thing is, of course, I am, the people that I surround myself with may well be very progressive and liberal and some of them may be very woke. And so they don't have, they don't have that judgment. And I'm sure that other people may well feel more judgmental towards us. But I do think it's really important to highlight the kid that I didn't, I haven't so far, and I'm sure it might change, but I haven't so far experienced any negativity, stigma or questioning around that. Every doctor I speak to, and this is not just fertility doctor, this is general uh, general practice doctors or anyone that I speak to in my personal life on social media, none of them have had any of that sort of feedback. It doesn't mean that they haven't thought it. I think for sure there is certainly stigma around single mums in general. I think some of this comes from this kind of false assumption that that's like children of single parents just can't be happy. As if if they don't have a mum and a dad in that kind of heteronormative dynamic that there's something the kids just won't be happy um but or on the flip side of that the the parents can't be happy if they are single and they're raising a child but the research on parents in general by the way is that they're not happier than people without kids and I think that's important to know having children is not something that is necessarily going to make you happier in the long term um and single parents are often like in the research, single parents appear to be less happy than, than parents who are together. But in that research, often than not, those single parents are people that didn't choose to be single parents. And I think this is the problem with a lot of the data that we have at the moment around single parent and, and the impact that it has on children and the impact that it has on the parents is that a lot of the research is around people who didn't choose to be single parents and they may be widowed, they may have gone through, um, they may have been abandoned by their partner, they may have toxic relationships with their partner, so many potential situations, it could be completely amicable and friendly and loving, um, but there's so many situations and, and when you're a single mother by choice, I think it adds a certain level of autonomy, a certain level of empowerment and just kind of that idea of power of choice and the impact that that would have on someone's happiness can't be or general mental well-being can't be underrated and, and the same goes for the stigma around single that they somehow need extra financial support again we that may well be true but it may not well be true for people who go through this journey and literally shit out money to fertility services for however many years it takes 
And of course, some of that stigma comes from this idea that related to this question of kids needing a father figure. And there was a 2015 Pew Research Centre survey that found that two thirds of adults said that more single women raising children on their own was bad for society. So there is, of course, still stigma around this. People think that, again, kids are going to be negatively impacted in some way by not having a father. The stigma I would like to know is, you know, like I said, I personally haven't noticed it, um, acknowledged it or, or it's not been made aware to me. But the stigma is also likely higher for people of colour, especially obviously in this situation, women of colour. But I think a lot of the time, the stigma is a deflection of people's own biases, their own experiences, their own trauma lens. Whenever we make a judgment about something or we or we have a perception of anything, we see it through our own lens. So if you think of yourself wearing a pair of glasses and all of your life experiences, all of your trauma has been funneled into that glass. And so you look through that glass and that is the reality of the situation you see and you genuinely believe that to be true and you genuinely believe the um like how you perceive it to be true because it's true to you but it's very much filtered and i think a lot of the time the stigma from other people comes from their own past experiences maybe around not having a father figure or a mother figure or coming from a home that was not necessarily traditional or a home that was very heteronormative and and um traditional so Yes, there is stigma for for single moms in general. I would like to to highlight that I think as well, a lot of this comes from internalised stigma. Now, this is not a self-blame situation, but we see this with um, weight stigma and internalised weight stigma as well, where we often take on the societal norms or the societal judgments, and then we internalise these and we feel it ourselves. So... I don't feel any stigma, but I don't feel any stigma towards myself for doing it. I don't think, I think what I'm doing is great and I have trust and faith in that, in what I'm creating. But if you are struggling maybe with your own sense of self or if you're struggling with, if you struggle with judgment of others, it may well be that you're struggling with judgment of yourself too. And so I think that's really important. Like, do you do you think that a child will be negatively impacted by not having a father? Do you think that you'll struggle being a solo mum without a partner involved? Do you feel lonely? Do you judge yourself for not being in a romantic relationship? And do you judge yourself for taking the step on your own? And if you do, then that's something that you definitely want to work on because this is a choice that, you, that you're making because you want to do it and you value the outcome of it. But if you're consistently judging yourself for it, you are going to consistently be filled with some level of shame. You're going to consistently feel that other people are judging you and you're going to consistently worry about, well, what happens when someone asks me? Because inevitably someone will probably ask you. But if you judge yourself for it, it's going to be really, really difficult to handle those situations. So it's definitely something to think about. I think 
planning how to deal with it is really important. For example, I haven't really thought about it. If someone asks me that question, now I know what I'll say because I've done this podcast, I'll just direct them right here. But I think planning what you want to say to people, and this is helpful for any situation, if you think that there's potential for stigma or judgment. I see this a lot with people who are maybe going to go back to their families for a holiday and they're worried about judgment, food judgment or body judgment. Coming up with a couple of statements that you want to say is really helpful so that when it does come up, you're prepared and then you can say it and then you can move on or you can change the topic. So that's always a really useful thing to do. And keeping strong boundaries in place. If you don't want to talk about something, if someone said to me, well, don't you think that that child would be impacted negatively by not having a father? And I didn't want to talk about it. I'd say, I appreciate that might be your opinion, but that's actually not something that I'm comfortable talking about. And often we try and please people. We're people pleasers, so we don't want to be rude. So we'll have these conversations and we'll put ourselves in awkward situations that we don't feel comfortable with. And then leave feeling sad or resentful or ashamed when we didn't have to have that conversation in the first place. So identify what your boundaries are with it. That's super important. So let's look at the actual research. Now, first of all, the research around this is sparse because being a single mother by choice is not new, but it's certainly increasing in popularity. There is not a lot of research that separates single mothers by choice from single mothers um, or looks at the health outcomes of children who have been born through single mother by choice processes and I'm talking a lot about obviously single mother by choice because that's this podcast that's me but remember that this could also potentially include uh, same-sex couples who you know we have any gender raising a child or any two genders raising a child any two biological sexes raising a child uh, maybe even three and so I'm obviously talking from my own lens, but this is probably applicable to, at least in some way, other relationship dynamics. So I think one of the things is that people worry about attachment issues with children who don't have father figures around. And attachment issues occur or attachment disorders occur when a child has been unable to consistently connect with a caregiver. And so it might be that a parent has left or that parent has not been around consistently enough. And we know that attachment issues are associated with poorer well-being, often poor academic performance, low self-esteem or a sense of loss. But again, all of this research specifically has been done in people whose parents are not around because they, they've chosen not to be around, not because they were never present in the first place, as in a sperm donor, for example. So that is one thing to know. What I think, again, is important to know is it's the consistency of attachment, the consistency of care and love that matters, not the, I don't know if it's necessarily the duration, but often these attachment disorders come as a change in attachment, a lack of consistency. And there's a hell of a more, a hell of a greater risk of a lack of consistency in a couple than there are in a single person. Single people in general are better connected 
So we know that from the research. You think that people who are single are more likely to be lonely, but actually what is what we know is that single people are more likely to reach out for connection and maintain connections elsewhere because they don't have that romantic relationship. So if we as single people have better support networks that are consistent, then is that not potentially better than having an inconsistent support network with the father of a child? I don't know. Maybe. Having a strong figure for support and guidance obviously increases our, our ability to form trusted relationships. And it builds our capacity to interact positively with others. And that's obviously an argument for having the father and the mother or multiple caregivers. But they can have that anyway. That doesn't have to come from the father figure or the, the male figure in this case. I think some of the stigma also too comes from not having that kind of masculine energy. And I hate that kind of terminology, but the things that evolutionarily, if that's a word, masculine energy or, or men can bring. Um, but there's no reason why that can't come from somewhere else. Why does it have to come from the sperm donor, the person who biologically gave birth to that child. Also, why don't we look at some of the research around people who have dads in the picture? So some data from America first and then I'll give you some data from the UK. So in America, nearly one fourth of America's children live in mother only families. Of the children living with their mothers, 35% never see their father. 24% of kids who live with their mums see their fathers less than once a month. And even in homes where the father is present, research shows that the average father spends less than 10 minutes a day one-on-one -on -one with his child. In the UK, prior to the COVID-19 pandemic, fathers in the UK spent an average of 24 minutes caring for children for every one hour that was done by women. 87% of fathers who don't live with their children say that they still have contact with them, although only 49% say that that contact is regular. 68% of non-resident fathers provided financial support to their children. Only 29% of those who never see their children provide financial support. The reason that I've put these statistics in is because we can very much glamorise this heteronormative square family as if that is the gold standard when really for a lot of people in those situations the the children don't have a constant connection with the father they don't have constant one-on-one -on -one time and in many situations the father doesn't even live in that house now again there's zero judgment of any of it because I believe that families look like well they don't look like anything they can look like anything and I certainly don't believe that families should stay together when they have a ch child. Um, but it's just important to note that the, this type of journey is one out of many millions of different family dynamics you can have. And we have to stop glamorising or glorifying one way of doing it. Because what do we think the attachment styles are for the kids who spend less than 10 minutes a day one-on-one -on -one with, with their dad? Or if they're one of the quarter of children who see their dads less than once a month, 
What's that dynamic like? Less than once a month. So that could be once a month. It could be once every six months. It could be sporadic. Why do we glorify that more than we glorify a consistent family dynamic that doesn't look like a heteronormative uh, couple, mother and father? So there was a 2019 um, Pew Research study that questioned why people want to get married and they said 40, the results said that 49% of people surveyed cited having kids as a very important factor of wanting to get married. The reason why I think this is interesting is half of people get married because they cite kids, because they think that kids are very important. I don't want to be getting married because I want to have kids. I want to get married because I'm in love with the person I'm getting married to. Now, this certainly doesn't mean that you can't do both. There are lots of people that do both, but half of people using the desire to have kids as a very important driving factor for them getting married, it's just, it's interesting. And I certainly know from my own social circles that some people get married or go into long-term relationships that are not optimal and they would say that they're not optimal because they are in their late 30s and they want to have children and again we glorify that more than we glorify doing it on your own because you can guarantee those relationships are not going to last in 10 years in 2021 there's this reproductive health company called modern fertility and um a wedding registry website called Zola, they surveyed thousands of people about their timelines for marriage and having kids and found that a quarter of respondents agreed with the statement, I don't feel like I need a partner to become a parent. We, our attitudes are changing and I think we need to recognise that things are changing in our society, in our world and a quarter of people now and at least in this research, a quarter of people said that they don't need a partner to become a parent. We're not anomalies. We're not some sort of rogue outliers that should be kept quiet and hidden in a corner. Like, this is not abnormal. And the more we recognise that it's not abnormal and accept that it's not abnormal, the less stigma and shame that we put on ourselves around it. I think a lot of the stigma still comes from this narrative that especially women were told you can't raise a child without a father and often that narrative is pushed particularly by men let's be honest white men's in white men in positions of authority much like the debate i had last week about roe versus wade the week before imagine it was the other way around right so let's imagine <coughs> we've got some attractive 30 something man who decides he wants to have a child on his own and maybe gets a surrogate and goes through that process. Do do we think that we'd be shaming him? Do we think that we'd be stigmatising him? Or do we think we'd be like, whoa, what a modern day hero, we love him. A lot of this is patriarchal and we need to recognise that. If you look at any sort of psychotherapists or kind of psychologists around this, a lot of them just say what matters most is having a support system as well as having adequate financial measures. And most people will agree that this support system can come in the form of family, friends, uh, social groups, religion, spirituality, anything, as long as there is a su strong support system in place. And that's kind of my rationale. 
love can come from anywhere and I've got more love in my life than many people I know that are coupled up and that's not a boast that's just a reality of the situation because I connect myself with people that I truly am in love with I'm in love with my best friends I hope that they're in love with me and I I have a lot of male figures in my life and this is something I considered I thought are there male role models in my life for a child yes they come in the form of my big brother my little brother a lot of male friends that I have I love men and I've got a lot of men in my life that I really respect and you know some of them are great some of them are feminists, some of them are great fun, some of them are super um, established in their careers, some of them are family men and why can a child not be fully surrounded and immersed in that consistently, consistently? Why would that be a negative thing? I'm also a lot happier than I am, than I have been in a long time and that's as a single woman who is dating nice men but doesn't feel that she needs to date pathetic men because I don't need to be in a relationship and that is displayed for your child for my child whenever that may be I want to model what self-respect and what self-love and happiness looks like and I think a lot of that has a lot of better outcomes for my child's well-being than being unhappy in a relationship with a man just because the man is around for the child. I also model not looking after men. I'll model healthy relationships because when I date, there'll be healthy relationships. And that's something that I probably couldn't have said. (laughs) I definitely couldn't have said like five years ago, 10 years ago. And like any mum, right? I'm sure that I'll work it out as I go along. And if I worry about stuff, then I'll change things and I'll make it happen and I'll make it work because that's what parents do. Mums, dads, we make it work. And so we just figure it as we go along. Um, So that's my viewpoint. This is my TED Talk on um, dealing with the stigma. And it is what I will carry around in my pocket for the one time that someone does actually ask me it. But I'm interested in your thoughts as always, so do let me know. If you'd like any more information about my coaching or consultancy services or education, then please visit www.emilia.fitness or my Instagram page at emiliathompsonphd or www.eiqnutrition.com.